podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Stratycast. It's episode 148, I think, Sean. So we're... We're, we're, we're getting through them um, the new season is almost upon us and we have another pre-season game tomorrow against Crystal Palace which kicks off UK time 11.10 in the morning if you're around to watch that we'll have a review show up shortly after the game which we always do but today or tonight even myself and Sean are going to discuss the announcement um, or the arrival of Lisandro Martinez um, Sean this one like a lot of our targets this this summer has been a long time coming. Um, from speaking to you earlier, you were excited about the prospect of this player coming to Manchester United. We will have some... The jury will be out for a while in terms of whether he can step up to the Eredivisie yeah. or from the Premier League from the Eredivisie. But this player has already stepped up from a move to Ajax, you know, and he's proven himself, you'd have to agree. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, this is a player that I followed for some time. And I mean, obviously, he came to Ajax very, very well reportedly as kind of a replacement for Matthias de Ligt when he had left the club. So the the vision with Martinez in going to Ajax was that he was going to fill that void. Now, he came to Ajax as a player, obviously, from Argentina, who had started a lot of his career as a central midfielder. Now, when he arrived at Ajax, he has that defensive structure about him. And one of the biggest sort of advantages that he has is that he's tactically shrewd. So he sat in and, and that was the idea that he was going to be the new Matthias de Litt. Then obviously the club lost Frankie de Jong to Barcelona. It left a pretty big hole in the middle of their midfield. And it was well documented at the time that Eric Ten Hag was, was actually quoted in saying that at the beginning of the season that they were looking for a brain for the centre midfield. So they looked at Martinez. They knew that he had played in central midfield early in his career. The big questions were, could he do it in an Ajax system? Because obviously, Eric Ten Hag's Ajax, is a, it's a chessboard. It's, it's very, very regimented and very tactically shrewd. But they put him into central midfield. They tried him. And he's quoted in saying that they saw extremely good things. I mean, this is a footballer who has got so many notches on his belt and people don't realise it, and they really they have to realise how strong a signing this is. I mean, I always say it that uh, a player's key trait is his availability, and the, and the player he doesn't really have a track record of injuries, which is obviously a fantastic thing. But the most important thing about this player is his versatility, because he can play centre back, he can play left back, he can play centre midfield. There's a lot of um, focus particularly from Sky Sports today. I, I couldn't believe that they did this, but Sky Sports highlighted just thing. how, short, they, how yeah. short he was. I, I mean, <laughs> I tell you, I've seen some angles that Sky Sports will go about trying to get Manchester United into an article, but my God, to, to have a show dedicated to how small he is, that's, um, that's something else. Because you see, the thing is, they focus on his height without actually looking at any of the credible information that's behind it. I mean, this is a guy who's developed mm-hmm. a reputation of being dominant in the air despite being five foot nine. And if they actually did their homework and they looked at the statistics behind this, he led the heading the, the headed clearances charts in um, the Eredivisie last year. And he also won 79 of 112 aerial duels. Mm. Now, this is a guy who's five foot nine and he's winning over 75% of his aerial duels, which is crazy. But what people need to realize as well, he's exceptional on the football. 
Now, you're talking about a guy that over his last three seasons has averaged over 88% passing accuracy. But as well as that last season, he was ranked in the top one percentile for all defenders in terms of assists, progressive passes, successful passes, and also passes into the final third. Now, I don't have the statistic in front of me, but I saw something, and they were gauging him in terms of defenders, that this is a guy who was, I think, picked by... I know Trent was a little bit ahead of him with passes into the final third, mm. and I believe there was one more player, but he was third in the top five leagues in Europe in terms of defenders with passes into the final third. And it's a guy that, because of his central midfield ability, naturally trails forward. So he likes to carry the ball out of defence, moves forward, and his distribution then just speaks for itself. This is a guy that is an extremely shrewd signing, can fill many, many holes, but ultimately I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm crossing my fingers because everyone is viewing it as a central defensive signing. I just have this small little inkling that he's going to go in there as a number six, and I think he could do an amazing job at it. We, we will see over time. Looking at what Ten Hag said about him, he said the fans will admire him. He has an attitude, fighting spirit and aggressiveness in the game in a good way. I think we need that. And also, he's very skillful. Mm. He can deal with the ball and he is left-footed. Now, what I'll say about the midfield um, arguments you're having, I, th- I think, look, I think he's coming in as centre-back. I think he's coming in to partner Harry Maguire next season, not Raphael Varane. And I'll explain that in a minute. But this season, Ten Hag has pointed out that he wanted a left-footed centre-back. Yeah. And I think he's one of the questions Ten Hag had coming to Manchester United, just a query he had, something he wanted to work on, was why does Harry Maguire struggle so much for Manchester United, yet play so well for England? Now, to him, that wasn't the problem with Harry Maguire. He wanted to fix that. And I think these two will complement each other pretty, pretty well. And as well as that, you look at Manchester United and the hunt for, for Frankie de Jong, I think it's, it's very clear that Ten Hag, especially in one of his recent interviews with the club, um, just today he mentioned what kind of, like the midfield kind of strategy in the market and the kind of players that they're in the hunt for. And if they, yeah. did, if they didn't get Frankie de Jong, he said, we are looking for a player who can play in the holding position. Now you might argue Lisandro Martinez ticks that box. But it has to be the right one. There are not many in that position capable of the level we demand. We can't find him. If we can't find him, we have to deal with the players in our squad now and we will develop one for that position. I will not react to a certain player, he said about Frankie de Jong. We need the right player. We have a list and we qualify as the player who has the competence to play that role. We will strike the moment the player is available. Now, From those comments... And what we know about Frankie de Jong and what we don't know about Frankie de Jong. Do you think Ten Hag is still optimistic about that deal from those comments? Well, I, I look at it from a couple of different ways. In terms of Frankie de Jong, I mean, that in itself was such an open-ended conversation that he had because it can be interpreted in so many different ways. I think with Frankie de Jong to Manchester United in general, if you scour the internet and you want to find somebody with uh, a take on his particular move, you'll find it. There is a different take to satisfy everybody's different desire for Frankie de Jong to United. Mm. You've got, he doesn't want to leave Barcelona. You've got, 
he wants to leave, but he wants to bring his money with him. You've got he doesn't want to go to Manchester United. You've got he does want to go to Manchester United. And everybody has an opinion and a take on it. For me, I just, I, look, it's gone on for so long. Uh, it's, it's very hard for me to kind of fathom a world that he hasn't spoken with Eric Ten Hag and told him that he would like to come to Manchester yeah. United. Yeah. And, and that's just the way I look at it. Because, I mean, logically, that's what you'd have to, to, to come to, I suppose, acceptance with. Because if it's a situation that they have spoken and he doesn't want to come to Manchester United, then why in the name of God have they spent this time talking and, and, and trying to get it done? Now, the one thing that's really interesting, and it's why I'm talking about the possibility of him coming in, Lisandro Martinez coming in as a number six, is what Ten Hag said himself, that they'll only go for the right player if and when he's available, they'll strike. But if he's not available, they will look at the squad, look internally and yeah. look to develop the player. And Martinez has done that for him already yeah. in the system that he's trying to do. So that's the reason that I'm looking at that. I think he very well could partner. Um, Harry Maguire, I agree with you because obviously ball distribution and playing out from the defence is the biggest part of his system. And for as much as Rafael Varane is a perennial winner, he is not good on the ball. And he never has been good on the ball. He hasn't been fit but, enough either. No, no, this is true. Like, I mean, it's as I said, what is like the most fundamental trait that any player can have is availability. And Rafael Varane. He's, he's rivaling Eric Bailly for the amount of time that he's spending on the injury table, isn't he? Mm-hmm. No, definitely, definitely. And that's a massive concern, I'd imagine, for, for Ten Hag. And probably his approach to go out and get that left-sided centre-half this summer. Definitely. Um, definitely yeah. But look, if we can get more players in that are versatile and that can play a number of different roles, Ten Hag has been known to mix players around in, in different for, different formations and stuff. But it's definitely beneficial to have players who can play multiple roles you look at Frankie de Jong and he can play up to three or four different midfield roles you look at Christian Eriksen who we must also talk about in his arrival but he comes in and he can play a number of different midfield roles I actually reckon as well as saying that I think Martinez will, will partner Harry Maguire I think that actually might depend on what we were just talking about if United can get de Jong in and if they can get De Jong in, I imagine that it would be De Jong and Christian Eriksen in that double pivot next season. I agree. Yeah, I think a huge part of this depends on another acquisition. And that double pivot is a huge thing. A huge, huge thing. Um, but I suppose, look, ultimately, if we can bring in Frankie De Jong and we can complete that double pivot, we're, we're building huge squad depth, aren't we? Yeah. Building huge squad depth. And... I know ultimately we, we want to be improving the, the starting 11 because that's where we're really falling down. But, I mean, if we can bring in these players and increase the squad depth, then it's got to be a good thing for the club. It's actually funny that we're talking about the versatility of these players because obviously with the club he's coming from, it reminds me so much of Daley Blint, you know, because he's that versatile type of player that can fill in in a number of different positions. And... You would definitely like to still see him at Manchester United, wouldn't you? You've said that a few times, even before even before yeah. Ten Hag's arrival. You have you have past comment on that. Oh, I was I was very disappointed when he left. I I couldn't understand it. I know that some people were trying to be really critical of him and saying that he's short and he's not so fast. But the way that he read the game, I remember the games he used to fill in as a six for us. He's the closest thing I think we've had to Carrick since Carrick left. Now you might think I'm crazy with that, but it was just in his reading of the game. And the way that he could pass a football, his passing of the football was, was exceptional. He was very, very smart on yeah, the ball. Right. Yeah. 
I thought yeah. he was a good player for United. Yeah. Um, but another point that I wanted to make about these transfers, now just kind of playing devil's advocate, really, yeah. and going back to Louis van Hal's time at Manchester United, he was renowned for targeting players that he knew. Um, yes. It didn't always work out for him. Now, Eric Ten Hag is doing that this summer. Um, some people would argue that Manchester United should listen to the manager's demands and that the board shouldn't overrule those demands. I think that opinion is heavily, heavily um, weighed on the fact that we Ed Woodward making so many decisions in recent years. I think if we had a good football director, that there should be a balance where he's always planning for the future with or without the manager and signing the right profile of players. But I will add... The with Ten Hag coming in this summer, maybe the likes of John Murto need a a year to get to know what kind of profile player he wants. Because I wouldn't trust their judgment right now. No, and isn't it also been reported as well that the club had identified Pau Torres and that he overturned their decision on Pau yeah. Torres and wanted to move towards Martinez? I'm correct in saying that. Aren't yeah, I? and most people within the game would argue that Pau Torres has a higher ceiling. Than, than Lisandro Martinez. But something that, I, that I've noticed in Pau Torres' game from the few games of Villarreal that I've watched, for someone that is quite a bit taller than Lisandro Martinez, and that if he signed, you wouldn't be hearing questions about his height, he's not the greatest jumper. Um, yeah. he, I have seen him lose quite a lot of balls in the air. But Lisandro Martinez, who I haven't seen a lot of, but you've named out some really impressive statistics about his aerial presence... Um, I have seen small players with a really good jump and we actually had last season we, we spoke to Daniel Nardiello on this podcast about which player surprised him most when he was playing that was quite small and had this like crazy jump and he mentioned Yakubu who played for Everton that it was yeah. just incredible he said to, to watch him and he was impossible to mark no matter how tall you are and Nardiello was tall so it's, it's just it's lazy reporting what we're seeing but just back to, to signing players that Ten Hag knows, do you yeah. think that's a big risk? I think that it can be a risk because, and on one end, because it can be seen that he's sticking too much to his comfort zone. And I can see why people would be concerned about that because of past experiences such as Louis van Gaal. But with van Gaal, as boring as the football was, and it was terribly boring, um, he was in a situation where an argument could have been made for him to get another 12 months because things were maybe starting to gel together. Mm. And when it comes to Eric Ten Hag looking at players that he knows, I mean, with who he has brought in thus far, I wouldn't think there's anything wrong with the players that he's brought in thus far. I mean, that, I mean you've got one of the, the highest prospects at left back You've got a player who's not only proven, obviously, a time in Holland, but he's played in Inter, and he's also Premier League proven, and he's an international pedigree footballer who can play in a squad role and in a, in a, in a different type of positions in the field. And now you've got this versatile Argentinian that, by the manager's own words, is aggressive, but in a good way. I mean, I would not think there's anything wrong with these. And also looking towards Frankie de Jong, I think it's just... I mean, for me, with Frankie de Jong, yes, he's played with him. Yes, it's maybe going into his comfort zone. But Frankie de Jong is a special, special mm. player. I mean, if, if you were looking at it in a situation 
where he was moving towards wanting to bring Dele Blind back. And if he was wanting to bring, you know, the the striker. But had we it. had links to Brian Robbie a few weeks ago. <laughs> Young, talented footballer. Lot, lot of, and, and, and you see, you see different ways you can look at it. Okay, we, we, we talk in this podcast an awful lot about how we want to move away from this sort of archaic transfer strategy mm. that we have, yeah. that we have to pay 80 million quid for a ready proven, ready made player. And that we should be looking at a model like Monaco or a model like Dortmund, where we can bring in really talented continental footballers mm. and develop them. And for me, I think we can get a fine balance between both. I think we like the club that we are and, and the commercial monster that we are, there has to be sort of commercial acquisitions that can benefit sponsors. And, and that's the way that that's going to be. So you're always going to need a big name that you can guarantee is going to sell these shirts. Now it's getting good. It's going to get harder and harder and harder for United to do that. If we continue to regress into complete mediocrity, but Arsenal mode. Yeah. Yeah, and I actually saw a statistic earlier on because it looks like they've got Zinchenko sorted out now. Mm. In the last three years, Arteta now is approaching nearly 400, somewhere between 400 to 500 million spent. Hasn't finished in the top four yet. Hasn't finished in the top four yet. Yeah, and that's something that bugs me about that statistic that when I read up about it, I don't see it covered a lot about his top failure to, to get into that top four. But if you go back to the shit that... Solskjaer got, got and the shit that Frank Lampard didn't get as much as Solskjaer but did get a bit Arteta does not get any scrutiny whatsoever that's because Arteta won an FA Cup isn't it so he's the greatest ridiculous. manager ever it's I know ridiculous. it's like okay he's brought in this kind of bit of a fight about Arsenal again um, players probably want to play for the shirt and that but that's the bare minimum that a manager should be doing, really, shouldn't it? Like, if you're not getting in top four, we sack managers yeah. for that. Like, a manager we, we really fucking liked and that the club were desperate to see succeed was sacked this year because, yeah. you know, we weren't getting the results. Um, and that's all part and parcel with football. It's a results business, that's and Ten Hag, Ten Hag will learn that pretty soon. Um, looking on to the Crystal Palace game, Sean... We yes, have sir. a few players that I want to talk about that haven't featured yet. So we have Garner, who we only recently learned has been injured for the past two games. So we expect he might get minutes against Palace tomorrow morning. Um, Garnacho, we haven't seen him yet. There's been no report that he's injured. Have you been surprised about that? I have. I have been surprised and a small, tiny bit of apprehensive and maybe a bit worried about it based on different that I heard over the last six to eight weeks. Obviously, it's it's well reported that the club are trying to tie him down to a long-term contract and sort of pay him a wage that is befitting of a, a player with his talents at his age. But that's all. That it's just talks. Now, you're looking at a guy that's, what, 17, now 18 years of age, isn't he? Yeah. Um, he's 17, is he? 17, I think. 17. If Manchester United, like this is the club that you know you're 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 cultivating your talents at, you're coming through the youth system, you want to play first team football, and the first team are offering you a gargantuan contract for a seventeen year old, you snap their hand off. But you see, it's obviously well noted as well then that his performances at underage and the fact that he's been called up to the Argentinian first team, you've got clubs like Juventus and more worryingly, Liverpool are are interested in signing him. 
Now, maybe it's nothing and maybe I'm just being paranoid, but I expected him to feature. And we've had two games against opposition that you would very much have expected him to at least get a half an hour in. He's got nothing. There's no sign of him signing that contract. And things have gone very, very quiet. And that worries me a small bit because this is a guy I'm extremely excited about. I mean, he would appear to have the world, the footballing world at his feet. Yet, all of a sudden, we don't see him. And as you said, there's not a mention of him being injured. But then as well, why is nobody asking the question? You know, why is no one asking where is he? Because yeah. you, you, you should surely expect at the very least. I mean, obviously you said about, about Jimmy Garner. We should hope to see him tomorrow because he's been pictured in, in first team training. And so, so you would expect to see him tomorrow at some stage. But where is Garnacho? This is the question that I have. No, I think, I think it's a fair question. And even if people want to dismiss it and say, oh, it's only pre-season tour, you know, you're being a parent. I, I, I don't think you are because this is a player in the past few weeks there's been a lot written about. I think yeah. I think Manchester United should be looking after this situation and, and making sure that he stays. Now, I don't know why he hasn't been playing. Is there... Has there been a, a problem with talks? Um, what you said about Manchester United, that it's just talks. That offer hasn't been, been made. I am not surprised to hear that. Um, I'm not one bit surprised to hear that. There's been a few players in recent times that haven't really known their situation with United right until the last minute. Um, one of those players being Dylan Levitt, who was on loan at Dundee United last season. And coming up to the final few weeks of the season... It, w- it was known that he was running out of his contract. Now, Levitt didn't know about his future until the very last minute. And I think just looking at the situation for someone that has been at the club since he was five and a half, um, that wanted to, was eager to know his, his role, um, I think that's poor form. And that's something that cannot continue if you're going to try to impress these talented kids like Granacho. Um, now, look, look. Manchester United have vastly improved their youth system in recent years and Phil Brown was on the podcast a few weeks ago to to give a lot of credit to John Murto for that and that's all very encouraging but what hasn't improved is the whole negotiation scheme and I don't care if they get De Jong in this summer it will be a good transfer window but ultimately United have to improve has to be quicker it just has to be now I'm not, not expecting everything to be Mary overnight or over one year but we have to start improving and that might come down to dealing with these young players you've mentioned Juventus you mentioned Liverpool but if United don't get their act together he could easily move on a free we've seen that with Pogba there's a lot of United fans back then that were kind of thinking oh no he'll sign the deal we'll sort it out no he left now we look back at it and we're not too bothered about Paul Pogba but the point is the next one could be a gem also, also, look at the Bundesliga and how teams in the Bundesliga are left, right and centre taking youth players from the top six teams in England because they're not getting an opportunity to play first-team football and that they're being just pried away with the offer of first-team football in Germany and they're getting it. And look how they're developing as a result of it. Sancho. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, and that, and exactly. that, that, that has to be a... Fee- like, Surely he would mention I are looking at that. I'm sure Ten Hag is looking at it. Well, maybe, look, Ten Hag is the manager and maybe he 
I don't think so, but maybe he doesn't fancy Garnacho. But no, I, I don't think that's the case. We'll we'll see over the the next few preseason games if Garnacho gets minutes. But I'd be very disappointed if he doesn't feature. Well, yeah, I'd be very disappointed if he doesn't feature as well, given everything that we discussed. But take it or leave it, the grumblings that I've got over the last six weeks is that teenager Garnacho has been offered a six-year contract by the club. Now, I don't know, is that credible? I'm not going to stick my neck on the block for it. Yeah. But I've been told that the club have offered him a contract and you have to ask the question why he's not snapping their hand off for it. If that, yeah, okay. And that might add into the timing of why he's not being selected for, yeah. for games. It could possibly. Could possibly. Well, look, we'll see over over the coming weeks how that unfolds because um, that question might be asked at a press conference now you've mentioned that. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll see, see who's listening. We'll see who's listening. <laughs> um, before we move on, we're actually no, we're going to wrap it up now in a minute. But what I wanted to touch on was Eric Ten Hag's recent comments about Ronaldo, saying that he's staying, he's part of the plans. Um, you know, he made it very clear. He said it today that Ronaldo's not going. Um, do you think? Are you kind of a bit taken back by that because it might potentially mess up the the whole thing that's exciting people this summer, which is Sancho, Rashford, and Martial? Or do you think that for for Ten Hag's best sake, it's best to have Ronaldo around for this year? Because you're not going to be able to replace him in the transfer market. You know, I, I, I find, particularly in, in a lot of the podcasts, but especially in this one, I'm answering a lot of the questions with, there's two answers to this. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the way I look at Ronaldo, obviously, it's, ne- it's not going to change. I would personally like to see him leave. Mm-hmm. And I would like to see him leave because this is a guy, for whatever reason, hasn't been able to come on the preseason tour. He clearly wants to go. I heard grumblings today as well that Atletico Madrid was a very strong possibility for him. Now, it seems highly unlikely that Real Madrid legend Cristiano Ronaldo would go to Atletico Madrid. <laughs> same stunt as last summer. <laughs> same, yeah, I know, I know. Um, look, I worry about the dressing room with Ronaldo. And we talk about it over and over again. I know it's only pre-season. And we've previously had footballers like Perea pulling in performances where they're called pre-season Pirlo. <laughs> and we've looked pretty good, you know, so far, scoring eight goals. There's been some good play. The young players are coming through. They're getting an opportunity. But the main thing for me, even though it's pre-season and I know the guys are having fun, is they look happy. You know, they look happy. And from all of the reports that have come out previously about, I suppose, Ronaldo's influence in the dressing room and how it inspires these clicks and how it maybe undermines certain people like Harry Maguire at his status at the club, I just don't see it as beneficial. But then at the same time, as you touched on previously with something you said, Ten Hag knows what he wants. Ten Hag seems like a guy that gets what he wants. It's just, is there a certain point where that stops with Cristiano Ronaldo? I don't know. Just to add in or weigh in on what you said about dressing romantics and I'd be lying if I said I wasn't worried about it but something that has to be considered as well is when you have these leaks which I think a lot of the English press seem to be pinning on the Portuguese contingent of the Manchester United dressing room when you have these leaks that just means there's other contingents in that dressing room 
Um, that's proof to me there's other problems. And if, if those leaks are coming out and they're aiming slide digs about Harry Maguire, um, that's that's not good. And if so, someone someone can argue the fact that oh, if you're going to put Harry Maguire against Cristiano Ronaldo head to head, who are you going to pick? Ronaldo's the winner. Harry Maguire. Some people say mediocre or whatever. I think Ten Hag needs to look at this at what's best for the dressing room right now. And if there is, have someone with that negative um, influence on, on, on some, some of the players. He needs to address that. Now, what's interesting is, Sean, he doesn't know anything about Ronaldo yet. Ronaldo's not with the squad. So it's going to be very interesting when, when that does happen and what Ten Hag really makes of him. Talks about wanting to work with him. Hasn't done that yet. And his opinion could change pretty soon. I think the, the, biggest, the biggest fear I have about that is with Ronaldo delaying this return... There's not going to be much time for Eric Ten Hag to make his opinion of, of Cristiano. And as a player, he's not going to fault him, but as a person. Um, there's been so many stories, I don't know what to believe anymore, to be quite honest. Um, well, you, say, you say, just before you fi- we, we finish on that topic, what people forget so much, there's, there's managers, especially managers that are like Ten Hag now, who's after getting his dream job at one of the biggest football clubs in, in, in history. And he has an opportunity to manage one of the greatest footballers yeah. in the history of the game. And people forget this. It, I don't think it would necessarily be a situation where Ten Hag is looking at the squad right now and saying, we cannot function without Ronaldo. I think he's probably looking at it and he realizes this is not a Cristiano Ronaldo that's 24 years of age. It's a Cristiano Ronaldo that's nearly 38. So he's not it's worried a about that. He's not worried about it, but he has the opportunity to work with him. Mm. And, you know, and I think that's, that's something that a lot of managers want. I mean... If you're a footballer, you want to play for a certain club. If you're a manager, you want to manage certain players, surely. If, if you look back to Solskjaer, um, there was a lot of reporters that have claimed that he didn't know anything about the signing of Cristiano Ronaldo. But at the same time, he wasn't going to turn around to, to people United saying, I don't want to work with the best player of all time. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it, it, it's crazy. The, the managers want to, play, want, want to manage the best players. But then again, you do have clubs don't allow those transfers happen because it goes against their business model it goes against whatever and I think Manchester United make a lot of key decisions in the spur of the moment um, rushing judgment and what would seem popular right now and what's going to please the angry fans before a season um, I hope that Manchester United fans are showing signs last season what, what would hopefully continue with protests um, I really think that should continue. I think it's important that fans keep raising their voice because a lot of the problems we've talked about over the past year still exist. Mm-hmm. They still exist. They're not going to be all fixed in one year. We know that. But I raise questions whether any of the promises the Glazers proposed to us after the ESL announcement will come true. Um, they've lied time and time again. And just, just fingers crossed the likes of John Murtaugh, um can do a better job than Ed Woodward and actually steer the club in the right direction. Because as I mentioned previously, I think Manchester United are going to quickly come to a situation where they have to run as a football club. I think they will continue to milk the, the commercial assets of the club, but it'll get to the stage where they can't make any more profit. Um, which I think every football club is seeing there. That's why these owners wanted an ESL. But anyway, Sean, any comments again about the game against Palace tomorrow you want to make before we, we leave it? Just really looking forward to it. I know it's a pre-season game but I'm really looking forward to it. I'm actually on a, have a day off from work tomorrow which is fantastic. So I get to 
to watch it. And uh, I'm just looking forward to seeing a game of football, that's all. <laughs> but, but I, I commented on, now I know it probably would have been the case anyway, when the pre-season started, but because of last season, and because it felt in January or whenever we got knocked out, or February when we got knocked out of the Champions League, that the season was over, especially when the player turned the towel in. But when pre-season was starting this year, I was really looking forward to it, because I didn't remember really, it was months since I looked forward to a game. You know, every game we were playing so poor, getting to the stage we just knew the players weren't putting in the effort. We were saying it time and time again, they weren't listening. The the bottomless apologies kept coming out on social media that meant nothing. Um, but but I, I do feel a sense of optimism because, as you touched on, Ten Hag seems to know what he wants. Um, and look, as fans, we have to get behind a new manager and we have to show some sense of excitement before a new season. If you can't be optimistic in pre-season, what is the point in even supporting a football team? Look, we're going to win the league. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to edit that bit out. <laughs> um, right, thanks so much for listening. Please remember to subscribe to the Stretty newsletter, which you can subscribe at stretty.substack.com forward slash welcome. Thanks for listening to the podcast. And finally, thanks, Sean, again for joining me. A pleasure, man. Sports Social Podcast Network.